0: Snuff Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is January 17. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Katrina Blowers.
1: Hey, Tom, it is so great to have you back, probably a week later than you would have liked.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's been just so strange. I've had this long, boring, very annoying version of COVID that is finally starting to recede uh, from creating many annoyances in my life.
1: It is so weird how some people like me got it for a couple of days. You know, I was symptomatic for a couple of days and kind of brushed it off. And then other people I know, and it's usually really fit, healthy people. It doesn't discriminate. They get sick with it for ages. But very happy to hear your voice on the other end of the line.
0: Well, thank you very much. All right. In today's briefing, uh, we're getting into the real story behind the so-called food shortage. You might have been to supermarket shelves and seen some horrifying sights. We'll explain what's going on
2: what we're seeing at the moment is not a lack of food there's plenty of food available in australia but we are seeing a lack of drivers and warehouse workers to make sure that that gets distributed
0: so that's our briefing topic in just a moment first here are today's headlines
1: Novak Djokovic has flown out of Australia overnight after the federal court upheld his visa cancellation.
0: Yeah, here's Chief Justice James Olsop as he handed down the federal court's orders last night, just 24 hours out from the start of the Australian Open.
2: The orders of the court are, one, the amended application be dismissed.
1: Well, hasn't this just been a huge story to kick off 2022 in the end? Immigration Minister Alex Hawke's call to cancel Djokovic's visa a second time was upheld unanimously by three judges of the federal court.
0: Yeah, so they weren't actually ruling on the merit of the minister's decision, whether he made the right decision or not, just that he had the legal grounds to make it. And the government's main argument was that Djokovic would stoke anti-vaccination sentiment as a well-known figure who'd refused to get vaccinated.
1: Yeah, that's that's pretty controversial there. Djokovic released a statement shortly after the decision saying he was extremely disappointed. He had been due to play on Rod Laver Arena tonight.
0: Yeah, and this decision bans him from coming back for three years, although he can apply for that to be waived ahead of next year's Australian Open. Um, that's assuming we we still have a Grand Slam. Um, <laughs> I sort of talked about this on my my one day last week, Katrina. I'm completely disgusted and embarrassed by this whole thing.
1: It is appalling. I think um, my personal opinion is that we have created this huge mess by not being clear enough. We should have said, mate, it's black and white. You either get vaxxed or you don't. We shouldn't have allowed for a loophole in those rules to come here and play. But also now I feel like we've done the opposite. We've made him a martyr for that anti-vax movement.
0: Yeah, that's right. The argument that he's a threat to public health, like is so fraught and um, we're already at 94% double vaccinated and we have, you know, a massive outbreak happening. So there's no way he can influence this, the sort of actual like health risk in our population. And yeah, in terms of the sort of the impact on that debate about the vaccination and the mandates, it could a- absolutely go either way where he does become a martyr for this movement that that needs people to hang their hats
1: on. An Australian tsunami warning ended last night following an underwater volcanic eruption near the Pacific Island of Tonga.
0: The highest wave was recorded on Norfolk Island with 1.27 metres, while the Gold Coast, they recorded a wave of 0.82 metres. Yeah, so that's Sarah Scully from the Bureau of Meteorology. Um, thankfully, as you heard there, um, there weren't the, the crazy, concerning, huge tsunami waves many were fearing. Um, it didn't create massive problems here. The explosion on Tonga though is just absolutely hectic. There's ash clouds soaring 20 k's up into the atmosphere and the whole thing was felt as far as Japan, the US and Peru um, where two people died in abnormally high waves.
1: The eruption has also damaged an undersea cable which is still hampering communication with Tonga. It means that at the time of this recording we actually don't know how hard the Pacific Island nation's been hit.
0: So far, no deaths have been reported. Um, locals say the island, though, looks like a moonscape cloaked in a layer of volcanic ash. And uh, Australia's Minister for International Development and the Pacific, Zed Elja, says that today um, we're sending an ADF surveillance flight. It's going to leave Brisbane with emergency supplies. Uh, Things like tarpaulins, uh, water, cooking equipment, uh, the sort of things if people have been displaced uh, that they would be able to get that that kind of support on the ground as quickly as possible.
1: So whether that flight can land or not will depend on volcanic ash and weather conditions. Here in Brisbane, Tom, there's a huge Tongan community and they've been holding vigils uh, since that eruption happened. Um, Many of them just have no idea whether their family members are okay or not.
0: And 16 and 17 year olds could soon be eligible for Pfizer booster shots with the regulator fast tracking application ahead of the school year.
1: Teenagers who were vaccinated soon after becoming eligible in August last year and then had the second dose soon after that will have weakened immunity when schools head back. So the TGA is next due to convene on February 2.
0: Yeah, there's so much concern about our teenagers at the moment, isn't there?
1: There really is. Uh, If that approval does go ahead, the new doses will hamper a rollout, which is already stretched by staff shortages and increased numbers of adults seeking boosters. I guess you and I, Tom, can wait a little bit before we get our booster. Mm. We don't need to get one so quickly now. The homicide squad has been called in as the search resumes for a nine-year-old girl missing in the Blue Mountains west of Sydney.
0: Unfortunately, we haven't led to anything yet that has given us a, a definite indication of her location.
1: Yeah, this is a a
0: grim story, isn't it? Charlize Mutton has been lost for four days after disappearing um, around Mount Wilson on Thursday, then reported missing the next day. Uh, The Royal Fire Service have found small bare footprints in the area, while Inspector Sims says there is cause for hope. Conditions in the mountains were uh, quite mild, with a little bit of rain around, so there's uh, water in the bush. So we are hopeful that uh, Charlize will be able to Uh, sustain herself until we find her. That was Chief Inspector Gary Sims there.
1: So Charlize was on holiday from Queensland visiting her mum and also her mum's fiance. Police divers and more than 100 volunteers have been scouring the bush, looking for her over the weekend amid 30 degree temperatures.
0: Former US President Donald Trump. Uh, He's back at it. He's held his first rally ahead of November's midterm elections.
1: The polls show that if an election
2: were held today, we would trounce them so badly in a landslide in every way,
1: just as we really did. On November 3rd, we trounced them. That old chestnut. Uh, Mm. The crowds were just huge at this rally where Trump talked about the pandemic, the economy, foreign policy and crime, but constantly came back to that unsubstantiated claim of election fraud.
0: Yeah, Republicans are increasingly optimistic about the midterms with Arizona shaping up to be a major battleground. And that's where Trump held that
1: rally. On the other side of the aisle, President Joe Biden has been having a tough week. The Supreme Court striking down his bill that would require workers at large companies to be vaccinated or masked and also tested weekly.
0: Yeah, and two Democrats are also holding up key voting reforms for Biden as well. So plenty of challenges for him at the moment.
1: Yeah. And Donald Trump says he will be announcing whether or not he's going to run uh, as president again after those midterms in November. Gosh, what a we can barely wait to find out the outcome of that. That's going to make life very interesting again.
0: Yeah, um, very entertaining at least, but um, pretty concerning as well. Just continuing to peddle misinformation about the election. It really undermines the the democratic process yeah. and the credibility of the republicans too I, I would argue all right it's time to take you to the supermarket
1: shelves supermarket shelves empty, products stripped from shelves. Food and grocery supply chain constraints. Coles and Woolies have expanded buying limits. With deliveries delayed or cancelled altogether. Oh, so no meat, no headache or cold medication, no toilet paper, pasta or rice. What year are we in? 2020, 2021 or some dystopian future? No, it is a happy new pandemic year of supermarket shortages. But thank Thankfully, we haven't yet seen any scenes like that great toilet paper brawl of two years ago. So remember that. So late last week, in a bid to free up the blockages in food and grocery supply chains, the Federal Government made changes to the list of occupations considered essential workers and relaxed the ISO requirements for people doing those jobs. So we know that there is hopefully light at the end of the tunnel. But should we be worried about Australia's food supply shortage? And how long is this situation going to last for? Stephen Bartos is a visiting fellow at the ANU's Crawford School of Public policy, and he's done a big analysis of Australia's food supply. Thanks for joining us on The Briefing, Stephen. You reckon there is no food shortage and we all just need to relax.
2: Exactly. Look, Katrina, this is a worrying situation and it is genuinely true that supermarkets are having trouble sourcing all of the goods they want right at the moment. But the good news is that our food supply chains are very resilient. They bounce back quite well, even after a major disaster. At the moment, it's uh, a situation where there is plenty of food available. There's a lot of food uh, in the warehouses. Australia is not running out of food. We are having problems with the warehouses not having enough staff and the supermarket supply chain operators not having enough drivers to get it to people. But that is going to be a situation that will resolve.
1: All right. So for some of the people who are in isolation and are trying to get those online deliveries and are saying that they can't get food to their homes, what would you say to them?
2: I would say you have to hunt around, look for alternatives. There are some alternative suppliers. But the other thing that is going to be important for people is is not to panic, not to buy more than they need, because that's just going to make life harder for other people, particularly the others who are reliant on deliveries because they're in isolation. So, If some of us are a bit panicked and go out and buy much more than we need, that unfortunately is just going to make the situation worse. So key message, don't panic. This is not a time for panic, but there are things that people can do that are more helpful. One of them is to look for substitutes. A lot of people rely on what they're used to and have a fairly uh, set diet, but now's a good time to be innovative and experiment. So if you're used to having potatoes uh, as your starch and there's no potatoes in the shop, maybe this is the time to try some rice instead. And uh, the good thing about rice is that often you can get it from an Asian grocer who has a different supply chain to the supermarket and therefore may not have their drivers off sick.
1: Do you think this is a sign that we just, uh, this, this current generation just isn't as resourceful as previous generations? You know, our grandparents during the Depression era, they had to pull various rabbits out of hats, sometimes real rabbits, <laughs> because there just wasn't meat at the butchers. But do you think that we have just become a bit soft in our ways?
2: Some people from the older generations would actually say, yes, uh, young people just don't know how to cope these days, uh, which is a bit harsh. People actually just get used to particular ways of doing things. But now is a good chance to practice skills that some of the older generations did have, particularly Anyone whose uh, grandparents grew up in the Depression when there were genuinely serious shortages of things and they they had to make do with alternatives, Uh, it's that kind of uh, attitude that we need to cope with the current crisis. But again, we need to cope with it probably for a couple of weeks, not for uh, years on end. This particular crisis will go reasonably quickly.
1: So talk to us about how the food supply chain actually works. One of the things that um, I was curious to learn is that food isn't supplied just in time. We do have a bit of a buffer there.
2: For most things, yes. There there are some foods that uh, spoil quickly. So some of your fresh vegetables and some of your... Fresh seafood, uh, because they go off quickly, you don't keep huge stocks. You do try and get them into the supermarkets uh, from the suppliers as quickly as possible. But there's a lot of other foodstuffs where there are large stocks. The warehouses do have significant amounts in stock, and that's because supermarkets really do not want to have empty shelves. Empty shelves are things that customers hate, (laughs) and we're seeing that now. Uh, Customers really find empty shelves very disconcerting. So rather than absolutely just in time, for a a lot of our food, other than those perishables, supermarkets do have a reasonable amount of stock, not necessarily on the supermarket shelves, though some supermarkets are very well stocked, but uh, there are the stocks in warehouses. So what we're seeing at the moment is not a lack of food There's plenty of food available in Australia, but we are seeing a lack of drivers and warehouse workers to make sure that that gets distributed. Now, that's something that will be overcome as more people become either immune or unaffected by the Omicron strain, but the rapid spread of the Omicron strain caught uh, not only uh, apparently governments by surprise, but certainly put some strain on the food supply chain. The other thing is to remember that there's not one food supply chain. There are different supply chains for different types of food. So frozen food, for example, has a different supply chain from fresh. So on vegetables, if your local supermarket has run out of fresh vegetables, it may still have plenty of supplies of frozen or vice versa. So you can actually substitute one for the other.
1: So why is it that I was at the supermarket yesterday and in particular, I noticed that there was hardly any meat. Why are some foodstuffs affected more than others?
2: Meat is also affected by the supply itself. Abattoirs are a notorious hotspot for transmission of diseases, COVID-19 or others, just because they're a noisy environment where people are crowded together in conditions where there's a lot of blood. Sorry to be graphic, but that's the way abattoirs are. And uh, what that means is that uh, some of the uh, abattoirs and meat processing facilities will be affected in terms of supply as well. So a lot of other things uh, that can substitute for meat at this time, if meats in short supply, this is this is a good opportunity to be adventurous for a week or two and try some beans instead. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> there have been some suggestions made that uh, people should go out and uh, stock up on three weeks' worth of food in order to manage their way through the current crisis. That could in fact be counterproductive because we have a situation where there's already a shortage and if everybody goes out and buys more, that will make the shortages even worse. So I'd urge people instead to look to the adaptability and substitutions as their way of coping.
1: Well, we'll uh, be having bean hamburgers for dinner tonight. (laughs)
2: Well, you never know. People might
1: even like them. Now, you did a big analysis of the resilience of Australia's food chain back in 2012, and you said that while our supply chain is highly resilient, it is particularly vulnerable if two or more different disruptions happened at once. So we've got one going on right now with the pandemic. Would we have cause for concern if, say, we had a natural disaster happen as well?
2: We almost certainly would because the supply chain can cope with one disruption, but two at once is uh, more than the chain can really cope with. And I have a feeling that we may already be seeing a bit of that with food shortages in northern Queensland, uh, because it's cyclone season, which is itself disrupting supplies. So you get that on top of The delays caused by staff absences from the pandemic and it just makes it that much harder for the supply chain to bounce back. Southern Australia has been lucky. There are no major natural disasters affecting us at the moment and we've got to keep our fingers crossed that that luck holds.
1: So with epidemiologists telling us that this isn't going to be the last pandemic and of course with the the ongoing threat of climate change, this is something we need to get on top of, right?
2: We do, so there's uh, the possibility of more pandemics and more disasters in the future. So improving our capacity to deal with disruptions to the food supply chain for the future would actually be a good thing. In a sense, at the moment, we're lucky that this particular set of disruptions, worrying as it is, is not likely to be very long-lasting and we can learn some lessons from it and take those away. Uh, What I really do hope is that we don't just say, oh, phew, that was over and and walk away uh, sometime in March when, when all of this is finished with, but that we actually do sit down, learn the lessons, document them so that we don't have the same experience next time around.
1: So that was Stephen Bartos, who is a visiting fellow at the ANU's Crawford School of Public Policy. He's also responsible for the federal government's analysis of our food supply back in 2012. And he thinks that uh, that still stands true for now. Interesting that he says that it's going to be probably March that this will all resolve itself. So still another month or so that we're going to have to get used to those empty shelves at our supermarkets. but light at the end of the tunnel, which is great news.
0: All right, tomorrow on The Briefing, you might have seen a clip going uh, a little bit viral over the weekend. An Aussie Jerno went on Joe Rogan's podcast and called out some of his misinformation on vaccines.
1: Listener.